film listeners, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. Today I have another diary entry for you covering all of the films that I watched from February 1st through the 15th. Have a lot of really fun stuff here before we get into it. As always, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice you can also follow the show on social media frankly i love movies on facebook and instagram and you can follow me on letterboxd at big walls 21 for all recent movie reviews next week on the show is going to be the very first episode of the new miniseries frankly i love movies in the real world that i'm doing with lexi cutmore all about movies based on a true stories now what could the first film that we are talking about be Well, I'm not going to tell you. Instead, what I'm going to encourage you to do is go check out our social media to look at the very first clue that uh, Rihanna Henson has drawn for us, the lovely Rihanna Henson has drawn for us to give you guys a little hint as to what film we are going to be talking about, much like we did with the Off the Shelf series. Um, Every single episode, a week before it is out, we will premiere a new piece of thumbnail art to get you guys excited and guessing as to what movie we'll be talking about and then the day before the episode is released we will reveal the full artwork and title to tell you what film is going to be discussed on the show that week all right let's get into the diary entry here a lot of very random watches here because um most of these were uh it was time for me to uh watch or rewatch them some titles that have been on my list for quite a while and i'm just kind of knocking them off the list here first one up uh that i watched on february 2nd is out of the past now this is some may say one of the quintessential noirs of the film noir era this movie came out in 1947 it stars robert mitchum and janet greer all about a gas station owner who lives a quiet life, but secrets from his past start to resurface, and he is forced back into the dark underworld that he once tried to escape from. Your classic film noir story. This is my buddy Kevin Shaheen. This is one of his all-time favorite movies, uh, and I was very excited to dive into it. I really love Robert Mitchum, uh, and I was, you know, I'm always interested to delve more into the film noir genre. Um, and I was really digging this movie for like the first half of it. I thought all the performances were great. I mean, Mitchum is really fun to watch. Janet Greer is really fun. Um, Kirk Douglas is also really chewing on some scenery in his uh, screen time. And I was really interested in where the story was going as information was given to me throughout the first, first half. And then there's a point where the story turned for me. Not necessarily surprising in where it's going, but my interest just really started to wane. Like, the tension and the stakes, they kind of just felt very stagnant. Nothing was escalating like it was in the first half. And by the end, I was just kind of wanting it to be over. I was just like, all right, is, is this done yet? You know, and it definitely doesn't help that the the story is intentionally confusing, confusing because obviously, you know, the noir brings that out. Um, and I, and I usually am enjoying the confusing aspect of noirs. Like I've, I've talked about, you know, like kiss me deadly in the past, but it, it's just, it, it's unfortunate because I was really into it for the first half and I wanted to see where it went. And then it didn't really go anywhere that excited me. So I, I ended up giving this movie a two and a half stars. I, and it also sucks. Cause again, you know, Kevin is a big fan of this movie. It's one of his favorites. And I was very excited to, you know, give it a shot and see 
what all the hubbub was and it just kind of let me down a little bit um so that's where i'm at with it it was just kind of a, a deflating experience uh in a lot of ways so two and a half stars for out of the past Next up, on February 3rd, I went to the theater to see Knock at the Cabin. This is M. Night Shyamalan's newest film, starring Dave Bautista, Rupert Grint, Jonathan Groff, Ben Armitage, all about a family on a vacation at a cabin in the woods, and they encounter four people who say they have to make a serious choice to prevent the apocalypse. I'll just say it up front. I thought this movie was great. You know, I'm always pulling for M. Night. He is an inspiring filmmaker. He makes movies that he wants to see and gives them his all for the most part. That's been his, you know, staple ever since The Sixth Sense in that he makes really interesting genre films with twisty-turny stories that you really don't know or expect where they're going. And sometimes that can really get in the way of the story, but here it aids it. This is M. Night's best movie since Split. It is incredibly freeing it feels as though he's kind of getting out of his own way and just allowing the narrative to unfold naturally because the story itself you know from the synopsis that i read to you is very interesting and is a good way to just hook you but you know you can sometimes fall into the m night track of just like him clearly saying to himself like i gotta make this interesting i gotta you know really play with the audience's expectations and in a way which i won't spoil the movie definitely does but at the center of this movie are fantastic performances from everyone that i named at the top this is easily dave batista's best role and i'm totally sold on him being you know in more serious roles i always liked him and he's really great when he does dabble in things other than the guardians movies like he's obviously really good in dune and he's really good in uh blade runner 2049 in his small amount of screen time but this was a powerhouse performance from him. Jonathan Groff and Ben Armitage are also fantastic together as a couple. Like, I totally believe them. Their emotions for one another were totally legitimate, and their different handlings and perspectives on the situation at hand was really fascinating, and I, I really enjoyed seeing that unfold and how it affected them. Their uh, young daughter uh, in the film, played by Kristen Cooey, is really fantastic. Uh, one of the best child performances I've seen in quite a while. Uh, she doesn't feel um, dull or plain-faced or just like um, not emoting. She's doing a really good job, and I can really believe that there's a relationship between her and uh, and her dad's. It's really great to see Rupert Grint in a big-budget movie again. I mean, he's really trying with his American accent, and it doesn't always work, but like overall, he gives a, a very good performance. Everything about this movie just felt like authentic to me, you know, it, it kind of the opposite of what I was talking about with out of the past, like the stakes in this movie, you know, really ramp up as the um, as the story goes along. Um, and it is Hitchcockian in that way. But the, the way it grabs the audience and really kind of doesn't let you go and continues to build and build felt very natural. And it feels like M. Night is actually like expertly telling this story as opposed to just being like oh, this is, this is a really cool concept, but it's going to get crazy. It's just like, no, let's see where this story goes. You know, take it one step at a time. You know, the, the twist is not at the forefront of his mind in this narrative. Like some, something like The Village, let's say, is just constantly trying to get you to the twist at the end. Um, whereas this, it's really taking its time to get to the end. It's fantastically done. 
Um, I will say like my, my only my my main negatives of the movie is that there are a couple flashbacks that are placed uh, in mainly like the second act that feel a bit jarring and strangely placed. They're well shot and, you know, they're fine, but it kind of takes you out of the movie for just a little bit because obviously, you know, the, the flashback and you want to get back to, oh, what's happening with the family. But, they don't, but again, it doesn't last for too long and it isn't too, it isn't that much of a negative. So I wouldn't say it's anything, you know, huge to gripe about. Um, and there are some, you know, classic M. Night, like clunkers of line deliveries. And he does a little bit too much explaining at the end um, that I think what he does explain could have not been said and left open to interpretation. And the movie wouldn't have really changed from that. Um, but I was very um, impressed by how much I enjoyed this and how easily I gave myself over to this movie. And I, I want more people to see it because... M. Night delivered, and I, I really love when he delivers, and it sucks when he doesn't, because I thought Old was, jo- was like honestly terrible. I really hated that movie, but everything about this exceeded my expectations and really surprised me, so I'm going to give it four stars. I'm giving it the like, uh, go see this. I, I want to see it again, like right now, just talking about it, so uh, you will not be disappointed. It's a really great time at the movies. A couple days later, on February 5th, I was hanging out with some friends of mine, Will and Amanda, and we had talked about the film uh, Joe Dirt with uh, David Spade because it was one that both uh, myself and um, my friend Amanda had uh, grown up with. And, and by that, I mean, like, she actually grew up with it and that I just saw it when I was younger and then I never returned to it. Um, but there are certain, like, moments that stick out in my mind. Um, you know, if you're not familiar, this is essentially, like, Forrest Gump in the Bush era, it's just a, you know, a guy, did Joe Dirt, played by David Spade, this, you know, crazy mullet-having janitor at a radio station, and he gets on the uh, this radio show with, um, with Dennis Miller, and he just tells his whole life story about how his parents went missing, and he's been trying to look for them forever, and he's just recounting, you know, this whole story, and, uh, yeah, this movie's terrible. It's really awful. It only had like maybe one or two chuckles out of me rewatching it. I knew going into it that it was it was bad. I mean, the main reason we watched it was just to have like a good drinking movie to watch. And I found myself being more frustrated and groaning than actually having a good time because I mean, like there are tons of great movies to drink or and party to and actually be engaged and it enhances the experience. This was just like trudging through through 90 minutes, which is obviously not what you want. Um, it's honestly one of the worst movies I think I've ever seen because it just like fails on pretty much every level. The one thing I will say that, um, surprised me about this movie is that this, it it features both split diopter and slow motion shots. And I was flabbergasted by that. And it was just like, I was shocked to see that that happened. Um, but yeah, uh, pretty much every joke in this movie just like falls flat and is just like such a a really gross output from this this era of comedies and you know really uh bringing in the bush era kind of movie because it comes out in 2001 right before 9-11 i believe it comes out the summer before 9-11 um and it's just like uh it was uncomfortable to watch it was unbearable i gave this movie no stars it's just one of the absolute worst so I'm sure no one was really thinking about this movie. I don't know if you, the listener, were thinking about this movie at all in the last 10 years or even more than that. 
since I brought this movie up. Um, and it's honestly fine if it stayed that way. Um, but wow. Oh my God. What a terrible, terrible movie. Going from no stars to five stars, the next thing I watched was Bo Burnham's Inside. This was not my first time watching it. This was actually my uh, second time. And uh, I, the reason I'd watch this is because I always find that songs from this like just randomly pop up in my head, particularly the, the Unpaid Intern song and Welcome to the Internet. And I really loved this the first time I saw it because I'm a big fan of Bo Burnham and I you know, was a huge fan of his stand-up specials. But I, I mean, I think when this came out, like everyone pretty much collectively thought that it was like one of the best things to come out of the pandemic and using his, you know, resources and creativity and um, and talent to uh, its utmost. And it's, you know, one of the uh, the best comedy specials to come out in honestly in the last in the last decade. It is just an astonishing piece of work with fantastic songs. But this time around, I really focused on how like the pacing of everything and the flow of each um, song and into one another. Cause I mean, like I also watched like the, uh, the outtakes that he uh, posted last year and you know, those were taken out for a reason. And so that is not really something that enhances the experience of inside for me necessarily. I I probably like when I watch, if I want to watch this again, I'll just watch the, the inside and not necessarily like the inside special instead of the outtakes. But there's still some funny stuff in there. But for me, what was really great is that like, I don't know what he would have put in like from the outtakes into inside that would have really added to it because the way that it flows and how things are connected from like a stream of consciousness level and from like an ideas perspective is really great. It's just such it's one of the most engaging pieces of work I've seen in uh, in a really long time. And it was so much better the second time. Like I already really loved it the first time, but this time I was like, "Yeah, this is a gold standard for um, for creativity and for yeah." It just it, it really I just I love this. I love this uh, movie. You know, it, it, honestly, it is a movie in a lot of ways. Um, I put it on my favorites of twenty twenty one. You know, either you could dispute that, and I wouldn't really argue with you, but. It's just a really fantastic work, and I so that the the special is a five out of five easily with the like. Um, and I enjoyed the outtakes. I think like just as like individual bits. I think there's some funny stuff in there. There's some good moments and some songs. Um, but I think everything that was in that was taken out for a reason, and it was a good call to take those out. So uh, I think that was like a three and a half star, but also gave it the like same same ilk. So if if you really like Inside, I would watch the outtakes, but just inside in and of itself is phenomenal. All right, the next four films uh, I watched when I was in recovery after getting my wisdom teeth taken out um, on February 8th, and I don't know if you've uh, had this experience, but um, having your wisdom teeth taken out is a very draining experience because you're, like, I was very lucky in that I didn't experience, like, that much pain. Like, there was one day where I was, like, I was, like, really feeling it, but for the most part, I was very sluggish and low energy because my body was just like focused on healing my mouth. Um, so I did a lot of relaxation, a lot of movie watching and considering that I was, M night was in my head with knock at the cabin. I watched a couple of his films. I watched signs for the first time. Uh, always been intrigued by this movie. Just have never gotten around to it. I mean, probably the biggest piece of intrigue for me was that, you know, it's 
like Chris Stuckman's favorite movie or one of his favorite movies. And, um, he's always, you know, being a fan of him, he's always, um, mentioned it on his channel many, many times. I just never really got around to seeing it. And I also remember hearing a lot of people like in my circle, not like this movie. Some people did and some people didn't, um, because of the twist at the end. And, and my biggest issue with the movie is the fact that the twist doesn't really, or the ending itself doesn't really make a lot of sense logically. Um, but I honestly quite enjoyed this movie. I, I think it's a it's a pretty good thriller um, with with good performances. Like Mel Gibson is great. You got Rory Culkin and uh, uh, Abigail Breslin as a family. Uh, you know, in uh, in this farmhouse when uh, aliens start to invade Earth, and it, uh, Joaquin Phoenix is also in it. Um, and all of them are great as the family. Uh, there's some good moments of tension particularly, you know, towards the third act when they're in the basement. And again, there are some really, really rough lines of dialogue, and M. Night sometimes just can't help himself with over-explaining or having lines of dialogue that are just like, why? Who? Someone had to have said no to that. There had to have been someone who's like, we got to take another pass at that. And Signs does have a, a few too many where I'm like, ah, this is like kind of really getting to me. Um, but overall, I, I would absolutely watch this movie again. It's a great looking movie. Tak Fujimoto uh, was the cinematographer and it's a, it's a really well paced movie. It feels very contained because you're mainly in this um, in this farmhouse and it and it moves really well. All of his early movies like I love Unbreakable, but it, it is a very engaging experience. Um, yeah, the ending feels like it kind of falls flat and doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Um, I like what he's getting at with. Um, you know, the idea of coincidence and uh, faith in each other. And I, I really, again, I really like all the performances. So it, it was it was honestly a perfect movie to watch while laying in bed and recovering because I, I didn't find myself needing to like be like locked in in like a in a cognitive sense where I was like analyzing it like so much. Like I wasn't trying to do that. I was just like, I just have an enjoyable well-made movie on in the background not in the background but like on for me to watch while laying in bed and this really worked for that setting so i gave this movie three and a half stars and i gave it the like and i continued on the m night train the next day when i rewatched split um, from 2016 all about james mcavoy who has 23 personalities uh living inside of him and he kidnaps three girls one of them played by uh anya taylor joy and a, uh, a thriller ensues. Uh, I think this movie slaps so hard. I really liked it when I saw it in theaters. It was way better the second time watching it at home on the Blu-ray. It looks so good. It's the cinematographer from uh, who did It Follows. His name is Mike uh, Giolakis, I believe, or Giolakis, and I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Um, the man knows his way. With he has a way with colors. It's a it's a great looking movie. Um, but this movie is like so well crafted and so mature. Like it makes sense in my mind that M Night wrote this earlier in his career, like back when he was doing like The Sixth Sense and obviously an Unbreakable. This movie is like really mature, and there really there weren't really any lines where I was like, ugh, like until the you know the the twist of this movie being that like you know it's part of the Unbreakable universe. Um, that to me feels a bit unnecessary and takes it down just a little bit for me, just a little bit. As much as I love Unbreakable and I did really love this movie, it's like, okay, like, fine. But like the story of, you know, James McAvoy as Kevin and his performance is really great. I know there were, you know, a lot of criticism about how this depicts 
mental illness, but like, you know, this movie is a fantasy and it is, it is essentially like a comic book origin story for a villain. So it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It's, it's, it's a really fun movie um, and incredibly engaging and it has some great disturbing imagery. It's a really good thriller. Like it just, it really goes hard and I really appreciate that. I also really appreciate like, you know, you see, young Anya Taylor-Joy, and I've talked about her on the show before, you know, I really love her. You know, here she has this uh, unfortunate past and how that plays into her story and how there's like that connection between her and the character of Kevin, played by James McAvoy. Um, That side of the story I thought was really interesting and and more clear than the first time I saw it. And also, I mean, James McAvoy's performance is really fantastic, you know, how he's able to switch from personality to personality so well and have they each have their own, you know, distinct character traits. It was really fun to watch, and I'm sure, you know, the script itself was so much fun to read for him, and he's having an absolute blast, and I can't blame him. I mean, it's one of the best um, performances in, in an M. Night movie. Uh, Betty Buckley is also in this movie. She's kind of a regular for him. She's fantastic. You know, she, he is a patient of hers, and there's a lot of scenes of just them talking, and it's very fascinating, uh, and they play off of each other really well. You know, it just, it feels like, you know, M. Night is kind of elevating himself with this movie in a lot of ways. And I, it was just so much fun to watch. Like, I was shocked at how much I liked it this time around than the first time. This is a four and a half star film. This is absolutely a like. And I 100% will be rewatching it. Um, maybe when another M. Night movie comes along. Or maybe I'll do more M. Night movies. You know, I, I was con- contemplating watching old but that was like still kind of in my head so and I again I really hated that movie and I think I'd like to watch the last airbender after I watch the show and yes I know I'm the last person on the planet earth who hasn't watched the show don't don't crucify me I'll get to it I have a lot of stuff to watch but split is wonderful I have faith in M. Night he inspires a lot of us as filmmakers and storytellers so I'm excited to see what his next project is and it was fun to just watch through a few of his movies uh, during this diary entry. And maybe the next one will have some more. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but for now, four and a half stars. Gave it the like. Split is awesome. Uh, that was on February 9th. I actually did a bit of a double feature that day because later that night I was up. Uh, I, t- I took like a long nap during the afternoon and uh, I couldn't get to sleep immediately. So I was like, oh, I'll put on a movie. So I uh, I came across... Um, as you guys know, Silence of the Lambs is one of my all-time favorite movies. On HBO Max, though, they also have Hannibal, the sequel that they made 10 years later, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, and I was like, you know, I've never seen that. And I remember hearing a little bit about it when I was younger, uh, when you know, when I saw Silence of the Lambs for the first time. Um, but I never got around to it. And I'd always heard, like, the sequels and, like, the other, like, attached films in the Silence of the Lambs, like, series like this and uh, Red Dragon weren't that great. Um, but you know, I had no real frame of reference. So I was like, hey, let's go, let's, uh, let's check out Hannibal. Essentially, this movie is Clarice Starling played by Julianne Moore in this film and not, um, Jodie Foster is in some trouble at the FBI and she gets put on a smaller case, uh, to basically look into Hannibal Lecter once again, uh, because, uh, Mason Verger played by Gary Oldman is looking to extract revenge on him for something that happened, uh, in their past. Uh, I was shocked at how terrible this movie was. Like, this movie is honestly, like, just capital T terrible. I was just 
so frustrated. I've talked about it on the show before. Whenever I really hate when a movie is desperately trying to make you think it's cool or necessary or important. And this movie is trying to do all of those things. It's trying to make you think like this movie is important for these for the Silence of the Lambs like lore and it's it's necessary to get a full viewing and then it's like really cool because like I love Ridley Scott but he was like throwing every single stylized choice that he can by like making it you know brown and having this really gross low frame rate slow motion like this movie just needed to fucking chill out for a little bit and it was like just so uninteresting like no one in this movie gets to fucking do anything like Julianne Moore sits at a computer for most of her screen time and then we're off in Rome where Hannibal Lecter is giving art history lessons and he's just like walking around all the time and you know Gary Oldman's got this gross ass face makeup on and I was just like what is happening why am I why should I care about anything you know and then you know, the third act happens and then it starts to get like kind of gross. And I was just like, this isn't enough. This isn't enough to, you know, win me over. Also, this movie's paced really poorly because like, you know, when I was not interested at one point, I was like, okay, we have to be like, you know, turning into the third act, right? Like towards the end of the second act into the third. And uh, I wasn't even halfway through the movie at that point. And guess what? Spoiler alert. That's not good. (laughs) So (laughs) I was just like, I was so, so done Uh, with this movie by the time it was over like I needed to stick it out to but there were so many moments where I was like I am wasting my time watching this movie under no circumstance is this on the same level as the first movie I I love the first movie so much and I would be interested to see what Red Dragon is but like maybe like in my mind I'd be going into that movie like nothing could be worse than this and I, I don't know maybe it could be but like wow I was just like I was shocked at how like early 2000s this was talking about another movie from 2001 and I defend the 2000s a lot for a lot of like really great movies that came out that year and there were in that or in that um in that decade but like this movie was just like overwhelmingly bad and stupid like there are so many choices that remain in this movie where I was like wow okay that's what we're doing that like no one thought that there was uh an issue with following through with this okay i guess uh i guess i got another you know hour and a half of this so power through josh power through (laughs) this is a one and a half star movie it like honestly got worse the more i sat with it like when it was finished i was like okay that was stupid and the more i've thought about it and the more it's just like festered within me i was like this movie is like an absolute waste of time and is so terrible and i was just like mad at myself for watching it so one and a half star because i mean hopkins is is good julian moore's trying i love julian moore but like mm, she's not right for that role um and there's like very little i could say positive about this movie and so i am never going to watch it again and i don't think anyone else should just stick with silence of the lambs it's one of the greatest of all time for a reason say one and a half stars do not watch hannibal the next day on february 10th the last movie i watched while i was in recovery uh from my wisdom teeth i decided to rewatch dune uh denis villeneuve's part one of his adaptation of the frank herbert novel Really liked this movie when it came out. Uh, I remember it being like a you know a really big deal in the theater, and I knew it was going to be like kind of a first night screening kind of thing. After you know having it being pushed back and back and back and back and back, 
Um, and I wanted to watch it on because I got the Blu-ray and I wanted to see how it looked like you know, on the big screen there. And it was so much better the second time. It was even better the second time because I think like, you know, the first time when you watch it, you know, there's a lot thrown at you. It's, it's tough to comprehend everything for sure. But the second time, once you know the story beats, then you can focus on all the smaller stuff. And I honestly found it like pretty accessible and like easy to follow. It's so great to be back in the world, you know, of uh, Caladan and Arrakis um, and Giddy Prime and just all of that. Like it was so fun to be seeped in that world and but also in the hands of a master filmmaker who's doing it in an art like a um, an artsy kind of way. You know, this movie is slow. It like really takes its time to marinate and let you like soak up all of the information and then gives you some of the craziest action scenes you've ever seen. Um, it's just like a stunning work, and I'm I'm so excited for part two to come out this year. The only issues that I had with it uh, this time around were like honestly the score didn't always work for me. I really liked the score the first time around because I think it it like is more giving a sense of atmosphere than obviously it is this you know, playing with themes and um, ideas within the movie. It's more about, you know, creating this sense of the world. And I understand that. And, you know, Hans Zimmer is, is Hans Zimmer, excuse me, is obviously known for doing that. Um, and I love his stuff. But this time around, it, it felt sometimes a bit more distracting than not. Um, when it does work, it really works. Like, I actually like, you know, all of the crazy singing that someone does where it's like ah, like I like all I actually like all of that um but other times it just kind of felt like a lot of sound and it just felt loud for no reason and obviously again this movie's trying to be big it's trying to be loud it's trying to be bold and it is but on a multiple viewing standpoint it didn't always work for me um it's also strange to you know be seeped in this world of sci-fi and um, you know, I've made fun of, you know, their names all the time of like, you know, the main character in the space epic is named Paul and you know, his mom's lady Jessica, you know, but like and they make an interesting choice of having them speak in modern colloquialisms at uh, several points. Like at one point, Lady Jessica, when they outrun a sandworm, she goes, that was insane. And that's just kind of weird to hear. It's not really that big of a criticism, but like it kind of catches you off guard. We're like, oh, OK, strange that we're saying that. But other than that, I mean, this movie is one of the best sci-fi movies to come out in, in recent memory. I'm so excited for part two. I can't wait to see that later this year. I may even watch this again before that because I want to have as much information from this movie as I can going into the second. Now, I haven't seen the Lynch movie. I haven't read the book. I would really love to see the Lynch movie before um, part two. Maybe I'll read the book at some point. That's a huge undertaking, and I have a lot of other stuff to read at this point. Um, but as it stands... This movie is really great. I, it was four stars the first time I see it. I'm bumping it up to four and a half and absolutely keeping that like. It's a really, really damn good movie. I love Denis uh, Villeneuve's movies, and I'm glad that he really struck gold with this. And so much so that he got to make the sequel and that it's coming out and it's going to be batshit. Because I've heard that the second part of the book is kind of where the incoherence starts and is even harder to understand than the first part. So... That's going to be really fun, and I can't wait to talk about that when it comes out. So, Dune, part one. Amazing movie. And the last movie to talk about in this diary entry is My Bloody Valentine. That's right. Uh, Valentine's Day was just a couple days ago, and I find this holiday to be completely stupid, but I love taking any excuse 
to watch a movie in celebration of a specific day. And um, My Bloody Valentine, the original OG film from 1981, seemed like the perfect fit. Now, I had actually seen the 2009 remake of this movie uh, back in the day. It is kind of in that sweet spot of the uh, late 2000s uh, horror remakes that are very bad, and that movie is quite terrible, but is also quite funny and fun to watch and make fun of. If you're not familiar, this movie uh, is uh, set in a mining town uh, where uh, there was a mining accident and uh, one of the people affected by it went on a murderous rampage 20 years ago and then now comes back to his hometown to uh, wreak havoc on a group of teens having a Valentine's Day party. I honestly was quite surprised at how much fun I had with this movie. I went into it just expecting, you know, a clear, like, uh, derivative take on Halloween and, you know, the slasher genre, just, you know, dumb characters and some gory kills. And this movie is all of that, but it's still got a, a fair amount of personality to it. And I think that, you know, setting it in a mining town, you know, having the mine itself as a setting, you know, separates it from other movies. It makes it kind of feel more out in the middle of nowhere than Haddonfield, Indiana did in uh, Halloween. Um, not to say that this is better than Halloween because it absolutely isn't, but it's just different in, uh, in a few ways. Uh, the kills are really great. There's uh, some really good practical effects. Thought it would be a little bit more bloody, but there are some really good effects in the blood and the makeup department so hats off to them and uh it moves really well i mean it's a crisp 90 minutes uh you know it's not really it doesn't really overstay its welcome at all it's just a really great time i wish i i would love to see this in a theater because you know it does kind of ask of you know the what, what's so great about horror is you know going out and seeing it with a group of people on a friday night you know kind of a date night kind of movie kind of thing um, and, uh, but that being said, I still just had so much fun, uh, just going along, uh, on this, uh, this mystery. Now, there are some things like in the, uh, in the second act or the second half, excuse me, um, like where there's a twist reveal, um, and it's a bit kind of last minute. It's like, oh, okay, we're doing this and they kind of rush it and it doesn't really work. Although it does lead to a fantastic final shot that I really liked and was fairly chilling and, uh, really effective. Um, and I mean, the main conflict of the movie outside of the murderous rampage that is uh, going on is that these two characters are in love with the same person. and They're kind of fighting over. Them. It's a love triangle, essentially, between all of these characters that I could not tell if they were supposed to be teenagers or early 20s because they all look 30 and they're working in a mine like and some of them have like superiority positions like I don't know what the age range is and what they're supposed to be acting like but none of them were really right everyone seems to be having fun for sure but I mean you know that this movie doesn't pass the Bechtel test in any way and obviously you could do a whole gender politics analysis of any number of horror movies from the 80s I'm not personally interested in that and nor am I really qualified or uh, smart enough to speak on that in an eloquent way but it's, you know, it's obviously it's present in this movie and it's hard not to um, notice it. And I mean, you know, the camera work isn't obviously the most you know groundbreaking and does, again, feel derivative of other horror movies. Like there's stuff from Carrie in here, there's stuff from Halloween, but it's still like paced really well and plays with your expectations in a good way. And 
I just had like so much fun with it. You know, I, th- I felt like it was the perfect way to spend, you know, just a stupid holiday watching these, you know, teens just get butchered in pretty interesting ways. There are some good suspenseful scenes that lead to some cool kills and they use the limitations of filmmaking um, in the 80s to their advantage. And I just really enjoyed myself and I, I would really love to watch this movie again uh, with a group of friends. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I, I had a, a lot of fun with this movie. Honestly, I'm going to give it four stars. I'm going to give it the like. Uh, I'm, I'm going to watch it again at some point, maybe next Valentine's Day, maybe even sooner. I don't know. I was just having a ball watching this last night. So the original My Bloody Valentine is indeed a good movie, in my opinion. All right, that's it for the diary entry, guys. Thank you so much for uh, listening. As always, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice uh, on social media right now. Frankly, I love movies on Facebook and Instagram, and you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. Uh, be on the lookout on our social media accounts for upcoming clues as to what episodes we are going to be covering in the Frankly, I Love Movies in the Real World series that Lexi Cutmore and I are doing. The first episode of that will drop next week. been working really hard on this series, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. It's really great stuff. Thank you so much again to rihanna henson for doing uh, all of the series artwork for that show and for frankly i love movies i do the thumbnails for the diary entries uh, and you can tell um but uh, also thanks to uh, kane and jay harris for doing the music for the show without the two of them this show would not be what it is they are the best so be sure to come back next week for the kickoff of frankly i love movies in the real world lexi cutmore and i talk about movies based on a true story for the next few months. It's going to be a heckin' good time. Until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.